So I was at so Bodhi's teething now. Um, people, parents all over the world listening to this will be rolling their eyes at the complaints that I am now going to make about. In fact, I'm going to have two people rolling their eyes right now. Mm. There we go. There they are. But I was driving down the A34 at 1 a.m. this morning, wondering if really everybody has it like this, trying to get him to sleep, whilst all the while realizing that it was making him worse. But because I was going away from home on said dual carriageway, I still had to turn around and come back and knew that there was at least another 15 minutes of complete fury emanating from the back seat. So, um... Do you think he was furious because you were driving down the A34 <laughs> and there are better, more efficient routes out of Manchester than that? Well, I was just thinking on somewhere on, on a road that I could go out and then in rather than round or mm. get stuck at the end of. Um, so I chose that road and, and I did so poorly. Um, I'll be honest with you. And um, I just want to know if everybody is genuinely rolling their eyes or whether I can uh, require sympathy. No, you require sympathy. You, you warrant and deserve sympathy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. But you're not special. That's the that's the. The difference, can I like can that. I be advanced? I don't know. I don't know whether we actually ever had to do that during teething. Whether we actually had to, we, we used to have to put Ed in the car to get him to sleep during the day. Does he he resented going to sleep during the day? He felt there was stuff he was missing out on. But I don't. Th I don't know. A lot of my memories. The thing you'll find Hugh is that give it like three years and you will remember literally nothing of that's any fine. of it. Well, that's fine. I don't mind it being a blur, and I also don't mind it being kind of regular enough to take it with a pinch of salt. But um, the, the nursery nurse, they're not called nurses, they're called practitioners, mm. um, said to Gemma when dropping uh, him off at nursery this morning, when she said, here is a furious child, see you when I see you, yeah. um, that, uh, that in fact that it's the first one which is the worst. And because it's his first, he's, um, yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. particularly suffering. But I also, um, according to Gemma, have learned that it takes to break through between one and five days. Mm. We are on day five. If this doesn't end tomorrow, we are taking on holiday a child who is, for the entire journey, going to be tearing it up, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And, there is, and there is no way to ingratiate, ingratiate yourself to fellow travellers quite like having a <laughs> screaming baby on a four-hour flight, Hugh. This is Set Beast Menu, getting into a bit of a rhythm now. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Rory Smith, who, unlike a certain notable royal recently had an inconvenient positive COVID test, and Stephen Wyeth, who recently had a series of inconvenient travel-based mishaps. I mentioned it only um, apropos of what we were just talking about. Um, now, while the other two have been suffering, I have been spending the time watching the ticket sales tally for our live show inch upwards. So reward my neurosis by purchasing yours right now. SPM Live is on Wednesday the 20th of July. Wednesday the 20th of July. It is part of the Goals Allowed Podcast Festival in London. It will be at the 21 Soho. Along with a special guest star, we will be celebrating all things SPM. For example, I have recently um, decided um, unilaterally that there will be a quiz that Stephen and Rory will hate. So that's okay. very much on brand. Uh, that will be happening. There will be more besides. If you haven't yet got a ticket, all you need to do is Google Goals Allowed or indeed head straight to myticket.co.uk. That's Goals Allowed, A-L-O-U-D, like the girls allowed, not the, the goals being permitted, if that helps you, Google. Yeah. I don't uh, think they were called the girls allowed. The, the like girls are it, indeed allowed. I, don't, I think that's like people calling it the MLS. Yeah. <laughs> okay. it, it's like they, they tried the Facebook and decided that Facebook was more efficient. That's the El Classico. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. It's very, yeah, and you have the same problem with La Liga, don't you? But that that one is seems to fall through the cracks a lot more often. Tickets are twenty four. Oh, go quick on question. then. I've is, tried is, this is, tickets is, price twice now, so obviously is, we're trying to hide it. <laughs> have you got any anything else lined up for the live show that Rory and I are going to dislike? Because yes. surely us turning up is pretty critical to. Well, actually, maybe it isn't critical to the success of the show or otherwise, but well, I'm slightly if, concerned you're, you're not taking our input all that seriously. If it's going to be in keeping with all things SPM, then it will involve 75% of stuff that you do not want to do, and I'm forcing you to do nonetheless. Um, so here's the big ticket price. £24.75. It's London. That there, London. We are not aware of the fact that there is a cost of living crisis. It includes the fees, though, so there's a little bit of, a, uh, a little bit of help for you. If you bought a ticket for the cancelled December show, that is still valid. So don't worry, you've already purchased it prior to a cost of living crisis as well, which is important. Um, if you now cannot make it, you'll get a refund from where you bought your ticket. So head there for that. Um, but you can come and join us if you are yet undecided at SPM Live on the 20th of July at Soho 21 in London. Head to myticket.co.uk. And also coming up later in the show, this is one of those moments where I might have produced a fanfare, but I'm in a different room, so I have no access to uh, brass instruments. A big announcement. We're a doing big now. announcement. That's coming up later in the show. Oh, right. A big announcement. Well done. Well done on listening to the signposting, Stephen. Coming so up later in the show, something. a big announcement. What was left of my jammy dodger is what I was looking for, actually. Uh, the football is a bit of counter-programming. An oasis in the sea of Champions League aftermath and Nations League current math. Uh, so this week we are providing you with this. EA versus FIFA, which doesn't really work when you read it out. EA versus FIFA. Um, it is one of those hiatus era stories that piqued our interest. It was the one about FIFA deciding to end its relationship with EA Sports for football's most popular video game. You might have read about why and whether it's going to work and whose bluff didn't work on who. But if you like, but if you like us, you've already forgotten all of that. Then here we are to weigh in once again. Uh, that is to come. You can email the podcast at setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Here's Buffalo Art Megalian, who understands the host of this podcast well enough to be able to manipulate the correspondence section to his whims. I enjoyed, he says, the interview with Nader Manure. Thank you, Art. While his insights into his playing and broadcasting careers were refreshing, I was particularly interested in his response to the murder of George Floyd. As a long-time resident of Minneapolis, who resides less than two miles from the corner where Floyd died at the hands of city police, I would be eager to read more on that subject when and if Nadem's book becomes available in the USA. Well, it's funny that you should mention that, Art. It will become available to you later in the year. November, I believe, has been penciled in for a US release. Congratulations to both Nadem and Hugh Ferris. No need for the the the, the name there's only one here on this podcast for bringing this publication into the world and yes he should be persuaded to record the audio version of his book that is art Megalian in minneapolis and in nothing even approaching a coincidence carolyn porter simply writes i agree hugh audible version with nadem please and so uh, all of you asking um i have not had any further conversations with nadem about an audiobook um because i'm lazy and i had other things on but yes absolutely uh, i'm starting to convince him and I will spend days in his presence correcting his articulation and timbre, depending on what I think he should be saying when he speaks his own words. Andrew Watts Morgan has this. 
Hi there, Beyonce, Kelly and Michelle. Great to have you back in my podcast schedule these last few weeks. I'm sure you'll cover this in the upcoming episode. We will. But the social media reaction to the situation at the Stade de France really was social media at its tribalistic worst. No doubt there are probably a fair few Liverpool fans who didn't have tickets in Paris or trying to get into the stadium. However, while on social media, there are probably far more who are at the Brexit means Brexit end of the spectrum. It does feel like that there's a vocal minority at the opposite viewpoint, where by default, everything is the fault of Britain. British fans unless proven otherwise, and where other countries are a blissful Narnia-type-like universe. The way some were so quick to entirely blame Liverpool fans and ignore the accounts of journalists who were actually there covering it was rather depressing. When you consider, too, all the reports in the last few years of, to put it mildly, poor behaviour and negligence by police in many countries across the world, it's slightly worrying some just believe what security say without a second's thought. Given the poor conditions fans faced in the Europa League final a few weeks back, it seems odd that some feel UEFA should bear no blame in this. Indeed, even if there were people trying to get into the ground without tickets, surely that's the sort of thing authorities should be anticipating and prevent, and normally you'd have initial ticket checks well away from the stadium to stop these sorts of issues. Many fans, too, who've watched their club abroad will be able to tell similar tales to what Liverpool fans experienced at the Champions League final. Police prepared to spray pepper spray and tear gas first and ask questions later. Fans being crowded into far too narrow tunnels and hallways despite others being available. Police checks even going to and from the toilets and an overall unpleasant atmosphere for away supporters. This all fits into a wider point that football often seems to actively resent fans and make life more difficult for them. For example, charging increasingly ridiculous prices while costs of living rise and moving games to more and more inconvenient kickoff times. That said, fans haven't helped themselves at times with pitch invasions getting out of hand. Flares now seem to be an ever-present at Premier League grounds and the disgusting behaviour of some leagues like Ligue 1. Interested to hear your thoughts, Andrew Watts-Morgan. I appreciate that's an episode in itself, but we'll deal with it uh, rather more in a precede uh, fashion here. The, the only bit of that that I'd take issue with, I think, other than the fact that I, don't, I really don't see the problem with flares, I don't quite get why flares are thrown in as like the same... The same as the same kind of t- type of thing as pitch invasions. Providing it's not done on St Etienne levels, where the yeah, entire think... stadium looks like it's on fire. Or obviously there was a f- there was the famous incident uh, either at Milan or at Genoa a few years ago where a, a flare was fired at a fan and it killed it killed them. That's yeah, you shouldn't use them as missiles. But I think letting off the the smoky ones, I just don't see it as a problem. Maybe don't insert them into your anus. That would be my other. Um, that would be my other guideline. But the other thing is the, the shift... A not unrelated incident, by the way. The, yeah, that's, that's true. But the shifting of kickoff times, I think is... I'm sure we've touched on this before, but like that is being done to accommodate fans, just not the fans who are at the ground. So and th- those are... T- you, can, you can fall on either side of that debate, and it's fine. They're both totally valid perspectives. But the shifting of kickoff times is, is to accommodate television. And the reason that they, they do it is because a lot of people watch football on television and those fans have to have their... Um, they, they have a right to have their, their kind of priorities or their convenience considered. Ideally, it wouldn't come at the cost of match-going fans and there is certainly no reason why shifted kickoff times can't be announced earlier. And in, in England, at least, mm. maybe we could have some sort of vaguely competent train system to help ferry people to and from those games. But I, I think that is a separate and, and, to be honest, more complicated issue. The, the broader thing, particularly on the continent of, or in, in France and Spain, more than anywhere else, maybe Italy a little bit as well, of, of away fans being assumed to be guilty first and the police kind of turning up, tooled up and determined to use it as though fans are a group of people to be intimidated. Just, in, to be honest, inherently feels very old-fashioned. And I do think there's a 
I do I do genuinely believe there is a kind of social conditioning element to this that if you treat people like that you are making negative outcomes more likely mm. it, it's something I find infuriating and it happened again in, in Paris is this seeming determination to to either blame entirely one end of the spectrum or the other there's no nuance about this idea that you can be infuriated at one or two individuals taking liberties and causing problems. But you should also then be able to assess it from the point of view of this must have been anticipated. Mm. And how do the authorities best try and create a solution to potential problems rather than just go wading in haphazardly? And a sort of very similar thing in Marseille during the World Cup when there was trouble involving England fans. But having actually been on the ground then, we could anticipate that this situation that was developing was far from ideal. Mm. And it, it, it astonished us, as we like to think right-minded football fans, that England supporters were being allowed to congregate in very congested areas, dockside in Marseille, that this sort of pressure valve was allowed to build up. And then there was a spark lit from somewhere and the police came steaming in. Yeah, I don't think that the way that games are policed in this country would have allowed that to happen because I think people would have been moved on before the problem became so ridiculous that it, it, it led to the kind of scenes that, that we saw in, in Marseille. And it does feel, again, like in Paris, as though it, a little bit of foresight would have seen everything resolved with a, little, with a lot more satisfaction. Well, yeah, one of my main reactions to the... So I think we can safely like disregard the thirty to 40,000 fake tickets line that the French government seemed to be well, persisting with. the fan would have been empty if that had been... Yeah, I mean, also, also where, did, where did those people go? Like, if they didn't get in the stadium, like, was there not some sort of mass movement of 40,000 Liverpool fans um, through the streets of Saint-Denis at, like, 9.36pm? I mean, no, there wasn't. So what were they, ghosts? What, what are you talking about? Yeah. But there will have been fake tickets. I just had this conversation with a neighbour of mine, and he sort of said, well, um, you know, people shouldn't turn up at football matches with fake tickets. And that is true. People shouldn't turn up at football matches without fake t- with fake tickets. Most of those people will be victims rather than perpetrators they will have bought tickets in good faith Mm. and been tricked like they're not people who you should be punishing they're people who you should be sympathizing with there will as there are at all major events whether it's football or not be some people who try and get in without paying whether that's with a fake ticket or by scaling the fences or whatever that will happen at Wimbledon and it'll happen at concerts and it'll happen you know wherever you want to go Um, maybe not Wimbledon (laughs) uh, it will definitely happen at Wimbledon (laughs) The, All those people priced out, so the, the rest of the world. The, um, loads of people, loads of people turn up at Wimbledon without a ticket and snake through a queue in a park. Exactly, but the, <laughs> it is literally, it is literally the job of the authorities running the event to take that into account. Like that, the fact that there will have been a few people, whether they were Liverpool fans or not, who tried to get in. Even the, the local kids, and you saw the videos of on the night. You saw the videos of people trying to to get in and. It's really hard to say this without people assuming you're being racist, but you're really not. Like, it was obvious from the off that quite a lot of those videos were not of Liverpool fans because they were dressed like French people. Hmm. Like, whatever their, like, ethnic origin is completely irrelevant. I saw one kid who had a backwards white cap and knee-high bright white socks, not a scouser. 
just not a stay absolutely no loads of them weren't wearing colours you wear colours to major finals That it was a sea of white at one and a sea of red at the other that's what happens at a major final you don't get loads of people pitching up not wearing colours the that 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 was I mean I think the French have barely have barely um mentioned that element of it but ultimately that's the authority's job is to have a system in place that stops people whoever they are wherever they're from yeah. from t- trying to access this event for free that's why that's literally why we have tickets that's why tickets exist not even ticket checks that's why tickets exist and the fact that they couldn't do that is in and of itself a colossal failure from the french authorities and the danger i think from from paris and it's why it's actually been so sad and so dispiriting to see the idea that it was um that it was oh it's typical stouses always happens to them it must be liverpool fans fault they've got form haven't they that took hold so rapidly and that's that in itself is dangerous because ultimately when man united go to psg or to lille it happened to everton at lille a few years ago or when man city go to marseille or when chelsea go to wherever it's going to happen to you because the french think it's okay the french police think that's how you deal with crowds of football fans so next time you know there's an english team at I forget who's in the Champions League from Lido because I've forgotten all football. At PSG or at uh, Marseille, Marseille or at Nice or maybe not Monaco, but at Nice or wherever, Lyon in the Europa League. And that that's your, the treatment you get. Mm. Think back to what your response was to Liverpool, 30, you know, 30,000 Liverpool fans being forced to queue outside. They delayed the Champions League final because they were so inept. Yeah. That, that is the important thing, that it will continue to happen again unless the French government accepts some responsibility and accept that they're methods failed because they did they failed spectacularly and blaming liverpool fans just gives them an out to do it again and what's extraordinary is that you can give anywhere any stadium in any city in any country in the world the rights to stage a major football match and seemingly not expect them to have the infrastructure in place Mm. to be able to handle that almost as though once it's been determined where that game's being played what happens subsequently is of less importance. But that's and that's where, like, I have a degree of sympathy for UEFA because I'm not actually convinced that the way it was policed was UEFA's fault. That's that's how the French deal with football fans, whether they're English or not, and that's what that's what has to change. But UEFA should be asking the French authorities, okay, great, you've volunteered to step in for St. Petersburg. How are you going to police this? That surely has to be part of the the kind of the selection procedure. And UEFA should have a best practice of policing for UEFA rents and you know lord be it far be it from anyone to take fifa as an example but the one thing one thing that fifa do in in their kind of act of seizing land from a country to stage one of their events is they turn it into fifa land and in fifa land the rules of fifa apply not not the way that um that that things might be policed locally and that to, without being this sounds very colonial i don't mean it to that's not always a bad thing. So in Russia, the police were really, really light touch. That is not how the Russian police normally are. Yeah. They were yeah, the, the Champions the League final the, in 2008 yeah. as well, which was, was quite startling. Yes, there were, there were plenty of police there, but they very much held back. And yes, the IOC do the, do the same. And, 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 and the way that the World Cup and the Olympics happen is very much criticised because of the way that they do take over that piece of land. And, and there are all take, sorts they, of ramifications of that, but that yeah. perhaps may be one of those mitigating circumstances to that. And it means it's actually very hard for me to think. So I've done World Cups in South Africa, Brazil and, Brazil and Russia, and they are all incredibly different countries, but they all looked exactly the same because they were all FIFA land. Mm. And that, that does... Maybe UEFA need to look at that and say, look, actually, once, once we select a city, you are going to 
do this the way that we want you to do it. Maybe that well, maybe that's they, necessary. They see they seize the stadium itself, so perhaps the, the stadium itself and and areas around it in the way that those other two organisations that we mentioned do. Um, just uh, before we move on, um, after a listener posited a theory um, at the origins of Rory K. Smith uh, on SBM two six nine, we have further insights to offer. Ahmed Youssef writes this. Hey, guys, as a lover of both poetry and football. Yes, Rory is deeply, deeply wrong about poetry. I remember, you'd rather be wrong about that than, than football. I remember the old game podcast from the Times of London where Gab Marcotti would give Rory the K middle name. I also listened to On Being, which was mentioned on SPM 269, but highly doubt that that crossover works. Uh, it was mentioned that Tracy K. Smith, and he also listens to her podcast, um, who was a poet laureate, was at the uh, origins of the K. Smith that Gab mentions. But she only, says Ahmed, became the Poet Laureate many years after Rory stopped appearing on the game podcast. Not it's unconnected, therefore, those two things. It's probably, therefore, just a coincidence. Anyway, her Paul as well. Uh, P.S. says Ahmed, Rory, there's so much good poetry out there. And to ease you in, I suggest trying some prose poetry. Claudia Rankin is an amazing poet. Her books Don't Let Me Be Lonely and Citizen are masterpieces. So, Rory, you've got some homework to do. I mean, prose poetry is... That's just not poetry. That's prose. It's just prose. It's just not words. not a quote. I like I like, I like prose. Who immediately uh, is more educated and uh, knowledgeable about this subject by mentioning people and their publications. Buffalo Nick Adams says this. Gab Marcotti's reference surely is to the ABC journalist Howard K. Smith, a name known to anyone who watched American TV news through the 1990s. Buffalo mm. Mark Cole also chimed in. Gentlemen, if I had to guess. I bet Gab gave Rory that middle initial as a tribute to World War II war correspondent Howard K. Smith. I'm assuming the same one. There's a great tradition, at least in American humour, of the comedic middle initial, which includes movie characters like Rufus T. Firefly and cartoon characters like Elmer J. Fudd and Homer J. Simpson. Sadly, mine is a boring L. Not a great one like Francis X. Bushman, he particularly likes. Uh, now, in offering uh, that to us via email, Mark CC'd in Gab Marcotti himself. Who replied, funnily enough, funnily enough uh, from his den of Philadelphia Eagles le leisure wear. Indeed, says Gab, you are correct to Mark with the comedic middle initial. My inspiration, though, was Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties. Funnily enough, Rory's middle initial is S and his real name isn't Rory. Nor, since you're wondering, is it Lorelei, as in Gilmore Girls, which is, again, <laughs> along with Family Ties. A reference that only some of us will understand. So a reminder from Gab, Mark, Nick and Ahmed that Rory K. Smith was will never be as funny as Roderick Sinclair Smith, which is the real truth behind it. And at least the mystery is solved. Correspondence of any kind, seppiesmenu.gmail.com. I mean, have you, to an extent, you just doxed me. I'm not sure I'm entirely happy with that. <laughs> dox, dox, dox. Um, so then, from next summer onwards, this will be a daily refrain amongst the real and overgrown kids of the world. Fancy a game of EA Sports FC? The video game maker Electronic Arts and FIFA have ended a relationship that created one of the most successful products in history, described in an excellent piece in the New York Times as a cultural phenomenon. He's a very good writer, that Tarek Panja. He also furnishes us with a little bit more background, thankfully. Around 150 million people play the game, known as FIFA, and apparently FIFA wanted to not only double the licensing fee, which fittingly was $150 million a year, but also changed the exclusivity arrangement in order to increase their revenue streams from deals outside the one with EA Sports. The talks apparently ended amicably, but once the partnership does, who's going to be the winner and the loser? And can FIFA really do their own thing successfully enough to challenge the primacy of a game that even the pros play 
as themselves. It's time to talk EA versus FIFA. Still doesn't work. Is this not the most sort of egregious example of FIFA massively misunderstanding the entire world and assuming that what makes the game popular is the fact that it's dropped the license deal with FIFA? Because it's, as Tarek's story made perfectly clear, it's totally irrelevant if FIFA pull the licensing deal because EA have got licensing arrangements with loads of leads and loads of clubs. I think there's a couple of teams, Juve possibly among them, that that have pulled their name from FIFA and have signed licensing deal with, deals with other people. But basically all this means is that EA Sports can no longer offer a World Cup called the World That's Cup. Right. That's they right. don't have yep. to do as as Pro Evo used to have to do. They don't have to off, offer like a knockoff World Cup. It will be called the <laughs> yeah. the International Cup. Or the International the, Knockoff. <laughs> or yeah, they could just call it the International Knockoff. They they you know they in fact FIFA, EA could probably um, get an extra win by by including a thirty two team tournament called the International <laughs> Cup rather than a forty a forty eight team tournament called be the World wildly Cup. popular. <laughs> so the, just, e, the E version will be more competitive than the, the actual yeah, yeah. version of the World Cup. The but it's it just seems to me when I remember reading Tarek's story that it that, that I don't understand FIFA's logic at all because the popularity of the game is nothing to do with the fact that it's called FIFA. It's or even the even the licensing rights that being affiliated to FIFA brings because that there are loads of other licensing deals that EA have in place and they will I'm sure they will now be able to say look if we don't have FIFA maybe we it's a long time since I've played any of these games but if we don't have FIFA maybe we need to go and do one with. Serie A and Liga and the Premier League or whatever, whoever they're missing, to mm. make sure we've got the full quote, sort of full quota of, yeah. of licensing arrangements. And the other thing is that I'm not convinced that what most people play with on FIFA is international teams. Well, FIFA is is two separate things as far as the majority of people are concerned. It's the governing body of, of the game, and a majority of football fans are only aware of that once every four years. Unless you are Tarek or Martin Ziegler or Rob Harris, unless you, you cover sports news and therefore it is part of your daily routine. Then at the other end of the spectrum are those people that play the game FIFA. And I would suggest that there are many, many more of those in terms of their awareness of the FIFA brand. And those, if it were a Venn diagram, they don't overlap well, that, that is true, but, but one Rob Harris counts for 750,000 normal humans. <laughs> is, that, is that correct? Well, yeah, we were talking yeah. about people being advanced earlier on. That, that, yeah. That's an advanced gentleman. Well, I know uh, Tariq got name-checked, didn't he, by Gianni Infantino is, uh, due to his ability to ruffle feathers in the corridors of, of power at, at, <laughs> at, is... the recent, at the recent press conference. So, so maybe they are not men without influence. But for, for the vast majority of football fans... FIFA emerges from the yeah. shadows once every four years and then disappears again. Was it um, was it to Tarek or was it Tarek's involvement that forced Gianni Infantino to say, I can assure you that the only authentic real game that has the FIFA name will be the best one available for gamers and football fans? And does that give us a little clue into the way that Gianni Infantino is uh, approaching uh, not only the talks that he apparently entered at a late stage when there was an original impasse, but also... Just maybe some sort of inflated sense of self-worth. Yeah, massively on option B. I, I presume what FIFA's plan is, is to not only launch a rival title, 
but to get away from the exclusivity to allow them to do deals with different types of games and to to find other revenue streams within i don't know mobile games or yeah. uh something to do with the metaverse someone will definitely have mentioned the metaverse here and to find ways that they can spin more money out of this rather than the 150 million dollars a year that they got from ea and i'm sure there is a financial logic to what they're doing they will have looked at it they're not completely stupid they will have looked at it and thought right well if we do this this and this we we will be able to make this amount of money and to i would and i would assume that the, the amount of money they think they can make from various licensing deals is 300 million dollars and that's why they asked ea to pay that to cover what they can they expect they can make elsewhere i i just don't think that they're they, they, they've kind of realised that they are operating entirely on a flawed assumption. And to, be, to, to an extent, Infantino's right that the game that succeeds will be the one that's the best game. Because that's what happened with FIFA and Pro Evo. That ultimately FIFA became more advanced. Not necessarily the gameplay argument was always a bit of a touchy one, but it became more advanced and more authentic, less sort of arcadey. And that meant FIFA beat Pro Evo. If FIFA produce a game that's not as good as EA Sports FC, then people will play EA Sports FC. And to be honest, they'll probably still call it FIFA. In terms of on the money and in terms of them making that money through other games and other products that they feel maybe they couldn't have done in partnership with, with EA. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I read this in Tarek's piece. Isn't this the deal with EA, FIFA's biggest annual individual source of income. So not only is I that it is, yeah. easy money, but it's their largest individual slice of money. If they could make that easily elsewhere, then surely they would have already been doing so. It's a rather bold set position to take, isn't it? That this large chunk that we get simply by allowing the game to use our name can readily be replicated elsewhere. But we, we're not already doing that. Well, it, we're not, it's, we've not it, even it, got a rival source of income that gets close to matching it. The exclusivity of the deal means that they, that they haven't, have had no opportunity to find out whether that's the case or not. Yes, but if but they they have irons in other fires, Hugh, if this was their biggest chunk of cash from one contributor, then that would surely lead them to believe that they were onto a relatively good thing because they had to do almost nothing yeah. in order to gain it. And they're starting from a cold start in terms of producing a rival product. In terms of within the relationship, who has done the greater amount of work over the course of the last three decades, EA or FIFA? Who is further down the road in terms of being able to deliver that quality product, whatever it is called? And I think, you know, Rory, Rory is right, whatever, it, you know, EA Sports FC, I'm not expecting either of my children to refer to it as that very often uh, well, if yeah. and when they're good enough to receive the 2024 edition. Yeah, but we still call football manager, championship manager by mistake. Yeah. And, and there was a similar parting of the yes. ways um, at, at that point. Somebody owned the rights to the name and they decided to go in a different direction to the people who actually made the game. But if, if FIFA have seen that, that EA are bringing in basically a billion dollars a year in sales of FIFA, is that not why? Because they're, they're, 
their agreement is a licensing agreement. They don't get any portion of those the, those sales figures. So they must have thought that it, we either get more money for or a bigger slice of what you're getting a billion dollars a year for, or alternatively, the market is so apparent to them that they would just think well we'll strike out on our own and even if we make a small part of that it's going to be roughly 150 million dollars a year for them and they don't even have to make the billion but if they make double it there we go that's why they're asking as you said steve for double on the licensing fee except that that assumes that the it's the licensing deal with fifa that has has a greater portion of value than than 10 percent which is a calculation clearly that they have made well, for the reasons that we have suggested might not necessarily be the most yeah it, it's a flawed calculation made by people who don't necessarily understand the market so and this is important to understand i think that what fifa effectively do other than allow ea to call it fifa is they sell them their the right to use their their registered trademarks or whatever so that's the world cup yeah. list ends Really, really. Always... There might be kind of there might be a club World Cup, I suppose, which will be a FIFA thing, and maybe the the confederations. But I'm not sure there's even a confederations cup option on that computer game, um, because everything else is governed by different licensing arrangements. So the Brazilian national team sells its mm. licensing platform to FIFA to EA Sports, yes. and I presume to I mean Pro Evo is not called Pro Evo anymore, is it? It's called it's called something else. Um, but to a variety of other football-based football manager will have all of those licensing deals in place to to use. The they also of... don't have Juventus, for example. When we were talking about yeah. the fact that Juventus are ones who negotiate their own licensing agreements with often not the main or the major player in that market. And, but that's and actually, that's... to be fair, that's that's not that isn't. It, it's bad for consumers because, as we've seen in, in lots of other forms of media, it leads to sort of endless fracturing so yeah you have to be like piedmont or whatever juventus mm-hmm. are called but you're in black and white um, they're zebra in uh, they zebra manager, in, yeah. in football manager the old but from the, women <laughs> <laughs> but from um from the club's point of view i think that makes sense because if i was juventus and i was confident enough that i could go to one of the big game studios and say can you make a juventus themed game that Juventus fans will buy, that's probably a more direct revenue stream. The only problem being that you'd then need the licensing agreements with Serie A and UEFA. To ha- Otherwise, you'd have the real Juventus with all the real players, but you'd have loads of, you know, you'd have Milan Red and Black and Milan Blue and Black and, you know, what, you know, ne- ne- Neapo- Neapoli or something, or whatever, whatever <laughs> fake name you'd use for, ne- for Napoli. Na- I, I, feel, I feel like we were workshopping that live. That would have been. Um, <laughs> Let's try and be, do all teams in Serie A. It would be Neapolis, I think. Is this, the, where, um, is this where EA have boxed a bit clever and maybe have anticip- anticipated this from some way back? Because in terms of those other licensing agreements they've got with, you know, individual FAs, with leagues, with clubs, means that they're relatively bulletproof in terms of losing mm. say the fifa or if they lost like the premier league or or goodness they they could they can survive those little bumps because of the overarching reach they've got in terms of their licensing agreements and it and it also shows perhaps yes fifa fifa entitled to say that we we place a higher value on this now than we did last time we negotiated but one assumes that ea's arrangements with all of those other licensees hasn't been done on a shoestring they are incredibly valuable 
commodities as well. And the minute that they accepted paying double to FIFA, that they were suddenly going to get a tap on the shoulder from the Premier League and the Bundesliga and the, you know, the Brazilian FA, as you just mentioned, Rory, who'd all want to double their licensing agreements as well. So I guess they'd have, they'd have viewed it as unsustainable if they enabled themselves to have their arms twisted in in such a way but they also they also appreciate the value those those individual licensees they they appreciate the value of fifa the game soon to be ea sports the game and the and the the reputation it has over the fact that it's just called fifa because they all didn't they after the announcement they all put out as they, they all yeah. a lot of the leading leagues and clubs exactly i think i saw ajax do it saying, we, you know, it's almost like we stand with you, EA Sports. Yeah. You know, it was very clear which the, the direction of travel for all those people who have sold their licenses to EA to be a part of it because they value that product more than they do the name that it's associated with because they understand that it is EA building this huge portfolio of licenses that, that gives the game its value. So you want to be part of that club. You want, if you're not Juventus, you want to be part of that club. And I know Manchester United have had, have had all sorts of kind of intellectual property conversations over the course of the last few months to say, hang on a minute, we, I'm not sure that we are complicit in allowing all these, mm. you know, football manager and everything and FIFA to use, to use our name, our brand, our, all that sort of stuff beyond the license that has been granted. Uh, I'm assuming via the Premier League yeah, um, so. for, for that one. So yeah, other clubs might think so too. But generally speaking... They all want to be part of the biggest party with all the biggest guests. I think the other thing that they'll have worked out is that those those arrangements, I don't think, have to be exclusive. So you can very easily, if you're Ajax, say we stand with EA, but then when FIFA launch some sort of alternative, you can then make a decision on whether you're going to grant your licence. So the, for, the, for the clubs, and this is where I, understand, I actually understand United's point of view, I don't quite get what they think they the alternative is because they can sell their rights their licenses to as many people as they like there there is as far as i'm aware no game that is the only one that has the rights to say everton hmm. i think there that fifa fifa the game we know doesn't have the rights to juventus and i don't think football manager does either um, no. and that's fine juve have decided have obviously done a different way i'd love to know who where you can play as Juventus. I, I thought it's... they were on the, the version of Pro Evolution Soccer or PES or, what, or yeah. whatever we're calling it these days. I think there is a Juventus in that. Um, and that's fine. Maybe they've worked out that that's more valuable to have an exclusive deal with one provider. But for most of them, I think it's probably the case that you, that it, it's an e it's easy money. The clubs don't have to do anything. They, they get incredible exposure to a huge community of, of potential football fans and actual football fans. There's a lot of people come to the sport through video games now. It, it strikes me as being entirely self-defeating to do anything other than to make your license available to as many people as want it, as long as they pay whatever you consider as the going rate. So I ha did actually do some market research in preparation for this. I admit it didn't, it didn't extend beyond the people sat around the breakfast bar this morning, but they are quite my 11-year-old and my 8-year-old, quite an interesting dynamic in terms of those who will be playing the game going mm. forward. Because they, they play it now, they love it, and they will continue to play it. It is their favourite game. And certainly the older one has been interested in this ever since he saw it in, in the school. You know, they, they have a... It's called First News, a, a kid's newspaper that's distributed around the schools. And he actually sent me a screen grab of the story when it, it landed in, in the pages of this newspaper in March. This is clearly something that has been deemed to be of interest to primary school age children. 
you know, I asked them, what do you, what is it you like about the game? What don't you like? You mentioned that you're not being able to play as Juventus. That was the, the one thing that Rory, the older one, mentioned about not liking about the game. He says it seems extraordinary to him that there's a big, a really big European team with famous players in it mm-hmm. and you can't play as them. Well, that is going to be the massive hurdle for the the new FIFA game to overcome. Because if an 11-year-old is saying, the thing I don't like about FIFA is I can't play as Juventus, well, that's going to make the, the new products unattractive, I would imagine, to kids of that age whose interest in football is driven by the big names, whether that's the clubs or the individual players. And, and the things that they do like about it are a lot of the things that EA have created and cultivated over the, the last 30 years. They, they like the gameplay. They like the authenticity of the way that things look, the stadiums, mm. the players, the names of the teams being there. The younger one, George, picked out his favourite thing as being able to flick through the leagues, to flick through the leagues and play as different teams. Mm. He's got a friend who's, whose dad's from Athens and supports Ike. And he likes playing as Ike on FIFA. So even like, a, you know, from the sort of general consciousness of a of an in, a young English football fan, having that kind of availability at his fingertips is one of the things that he enjoys the most about the EA game. So they have spent 30 years working on put, putting those things together. And, 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 you know, and it's just that the, the controls, they're so familiar. Mm. I find it very difficult having played it you know in the early years on the Mega Drive ergonomically I find it very difficult now on a, on a PlayStation or an Xbox there's just so much else going on that's exactly what I'd say if I was getting smashed by an 11 year old to be perfectly <laughs> honest well the 11 year old beats me occasionally the 8 year old hasn't quite got to that stage it's yet, it's, it's the, the ergonomics the, 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 the time, Rory definitely yeah, ergon- ergonomics the, the, the last I think three times that I've played it, played FIFA are with my nephew who is tw- about to be 13 and I've not I've not played any of any of these games for years. And the last time I did so was on a PS4, I think. Um, and he's got an Xbox, and it is a source of considerable pride to me that he's never beaten me. <laughs> and that's why you stopped. I'll play him, I play, I play him he was once seven or, the last time you tried. <laughs> I play him once or twice a year and win. And and there, there will come a that's point it. where his where him playing every day will make him better than me. But that day has not yet come. And I intend to stave it off for as long as possible. I, Despite I not really... I, in, in fact, you talked about the controls. I have to change the settings so that the Xbox controls, which are totally different to what I'm used to with the PlayStation, have to be in the same place as a PlayStation. As if, as if the one that's kind of at the... On the left... The one that's at the west compass point, if that's not shoot, then I'm lost. We, we've got the reverse problem because one of Rory's friends is, is an Xbox player. So when he's over, he changes the controls around. And never ever resets them. No, little <laughs> so shit. So I'm completely bamboozled when I, when I fire it up again. But that, another that, excuse. Yeah, I, I, I can keep them coming all day. <laughs> that's, that's not ergonomics. That's just I, the settings menu. I've got FIFA. I've got FIFA excuses that will take us all the way up to the live show and arguably straight <laughs> through it. But that, 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 the, the, and talking about the idea because the, the controls thing is, you know, they they see it, my boys, as the the ultimate football computer game. They play football games on other devices that they don't feel get anywhere close 
and and of course they don't because you know it's not the same as playing something on an iPhone or an, an iPad. But that's the other thing that FIFA have talked about, isn't it? This ability to branch out into that kind of marketplace. But smart devices, phones, tablets are never going to be able to get close to what EA or you know the the the, the Pro Evo equivalent have managed to put together over the course of, of the last 30 years. They're starting from such a long way back. Mm-hmm. And that that's, 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 like... that's the point though, isn't it? That, that if, you, if you are Jenny Infantino and you're talking about the, the, the game that they produce being the best, the likelihood of the first iteration of that game, whatever it is and however good it is, being the best, is so small because it's taken EA so many years of finessing to be able to, I remember each time it, it comes out every year, and that is a bane on the lives of the parents who who are asked by their kids to get it, or the outgrown children who want to just get the newest version. There, there is always something that is added or changed, which then you think, oh, they're going to have to change that next time around, and they do, and they find a way around it. Now that makes it harder and harder for the likes of Stephen, Rory, and I to play the game because it makes it more and more complicated in an effort to make it more and more accurate or more and more um, suitable to somebody who is uh, at an advanced level of playing FIFA. Because I remember back when there was just one trick, and you would you would just do the one trick. It was the, the little flick. Uh, you flick it over, flick it over on coming to your broadcasting. <laughs> yes, I've got one trick. And, and there is that, you know, you learn that. And if you're slow, like me, you learn that. And as soon as you've learned that and mastered it to a certain degree, you realize that the next, the next uh, FIFA coming out the next year is going to have to have two, three, four. And eventually you get so far behind that you kind of give up. Because, you know, ergonomically, it's just very difficult to adapt. So aren't so FIFA... coming around to my side of yes, things Yes, absolutely. Now, I, I did about 13 years ago. But, but aren't FIFA going to have the same problem? That they're always going to be chasing and chasing and chasing yeah. to the point that they never get to the stage where it is, it is of the same level as, as EA because they have the start and they also understand how to implement it incrementally. Whereas FIFA, if they, if they produce something that doesn't work at all... FIFA 1 compared to FIFA 2, it's going to be hugely different because they're, they're going to have to respond to all the things that aren't perfect with it first time around. Unless they're not going to try and rival EA. Unless they're not going to try and... Unless, unless they look at it and think, Do you know what, the, the kind of console-based simulation market is tapped out, we can't access that, the way to make money here is to... And Steve's right, you'll, not, you'll not, never get anything that's quite as complete, quite as authentic, quite as authoritative as FIFA or, or whatever Pro Evo's called now. Um, we should have really you, found that out before yeah. we did this. Do you want me to you, Google it? Yeah, go on. Let's you, talk, you talk, <laughs> Rory, and I'll Google. There's only so many times we can say this, whatever this is Pro Evo is called now. Five plus years. Oh, that's right. Of, it's called eFootball. All right, so I was going to say, five plus years of somebody talking and the other person Googling to check either whether it's right or indeed to see whether you can add but, anything. But that in itself is, is actually quite indicative that I, I was a Pro Evo player for a long, long time and it will always be Pro, Pro Evo to me. So the fact they've changed its name is has almost passed I can't remember I can't remember e football I just that's not I mean, it's a dreadful name but I can't be expected to remember that it's just it's just pro evo mm. the um I think it's always been, it was winning 11 in Japan I think but that's not and that's not irrelevant the fact that that brand association is so strong so maybe in that sense I suppose FIFA have got a point that people might have that affiliation to FIFA the video game rather than FIFA the previously very corrupt governing body and that might hand, hand them a market advantage. But I would imagine that their plan is not to try and produce a sort of console simulation. It's to, to find other markets, other forms of markets that the licensing deal with EA didn't allow them to tap. And they might 
they might well recognise that those those versions of football games are not as good, that they're not as complete, that they're not as kind of absolute as FIFA as as the EA football game, but they might be more lucrative. Because ultimately, FIFA don't care about the quality; they just want to make the money. And that, I think, is the other problem with this whole thing: is I don't quite understand why we are all totally accepting or there is it goes so unchallenged that FIFA seems to think its purpose is to make as much money as possible. That really isn't what FIFA's for. It doesn't need that money. There is a lot of money that FIFA needs to to spread kind of grassroots grassroots equipment and facilities throughout the developing world and that's perfectly valid. And even to be honest, you know, FIFA should probably pay for some stuff in like Europe and the US and Australia and that there's a reason, you know, that they're they're the main drivers of its growth and the main drivers of drivers of its income. But FIFA has vast cash reserves driven by World Cup broadcasting rights. There is a quest. I think we should all be troubled by the fact that FIFA has done something that makes very little sense and can only be explained by its desire to make as much money as possible. That's that's not really what FIFA's for. FIFA's not meant to be a business. They would have they would have seen the success, I imagine, in recent years of. FIFA Ultimate Team, so you can, you know your in-game purchasing and your scaling up of all the all the extras that can be bought by unwitting or witting parents. Um, for, so, so yeah, maybe they've seen they've seen that part of it and thought, well, that that isn't something that is, if you like, intellectually owned by any particular sporting franchise or in any particular game franchise. We can stick that in anything. And I just wonder if people buy any sort of future iteration of FIFA by accident because. They know the name, and that's how they've entered the market, and they might just get the wrong one. And FIFA relying a little bit on that as well. Yeah, although the chances are in the short term they will be disappointed, you would imagine, with their product. Well, if they hadn't bought it before, they might not know. Might lead to some might not amusing, have anything to compare it to. Some amusing reviews on Amazon might about <laughs> uh, the deterioration of the FIFA product. The, the, the interesting consequence of this will be, and, and Rory mentioned the idea that, you know, like like too many other things, you know, you might start ending up, you know, a bit like your, your subscriptions to, to watch sport on television, that, you know, if you want to play as Liverpool in the Premier League, but you also want to play as Brazil in the World Cup, you might need two different football console games in order to to be able to do that. Is The impact that it might have in terms of the the in-game purchasing that we might end up seeing and that is a concern as a parent because there is already elements with FIFA Ultimate Team that it's a bit of a gateway to some of the less savoury or the more unsavoury things about football fandom whether that's you know the, you know the gambling and, and that side of things whether this could be, become a bit of a curse on these things as they, as they attempt to generate revenue in a new environment that we might see the infiltration of in-game purchases of of risk and reward and those kind of insidious things that could creep in mm. that would lead to problems further down the line and and that would be my my major anxiety as a parent mm. as to what's going to happen with these yeah, computer as, games as as insidious as they might seem to a parent as enticing they might seem uh, to, to those uh, making the game. Uh, the future will answer all these questions. If, just on the off chance, you are late to Seppi's Menu and you're listening to this in 2025, um, email us, let us know, seppismenu at gmail.com. Were we right? Probably. However, it is time for a big announcement. 
Any fake trumpets? Real trumpets? You're Plastic in trumpets room. in the wrong room. I'm in the wrong room. Now, we've been saying for a while that the live show will be a special occasion. To pull back the curtain on this particularly vague language used deliberately by me, a wordsmith, if ever, a word K smith, if ever there was one. We've been saying that while we wait for some news that has now been confirmed that will significantly influence the great set piece menu. Uh, it's important to note that the G is also capitalized in great set piece menu. Now, if this was a tweet, I would start it with, personal news colon then leave a space a line and come in with something devastatingly boring i'm absolutely not going to do that there so i'll do it here i me yes it's my fault have been offered and have accepted a full-time job at the bbc and uh, thank you no trumpets but Plenty of fake applause. Strange place for us to be hearing about this, Rory, but never mind. No, no, yeah, he should have told us. Well, the former BBC employee, Stephen Wyeth, will tell you all. A full-time job at the BBC is either something you start your career with and consistently plot to leave behind, or begin without and always plan to get. <laughs> I, I am the latter. Stephen is the former. I shall be on your televisions just a little bit more. However, I will be here a lot less, because it is with an incredibly heavy heart that I inform you that the BBC don't let its full-time presenters present podcasts that can be, although the metrics in this example would lead you to a robust guffaw, considered a rival to their own. Uh, if you couple that news with the fact that Chinch, as you will have noticed, has wanted to very much reduce his non-Sky work for reasons that you have all been so very understanding of over the last few months, we have decided that the live show in London next month will be our final episode of Set Piece Menu. It will have been five and a half years of certainly my proudest work, Stephen's regularly on Match of the Day, and Rory Wright's one of the most high-profile publications in the world, so probably it's less true of them. But what I can say is that collectively, SPM has brought about the deepest and most rewarding relationship with an audience, not with another human, thankfully, uh, that any of us have ever had. Rest assured, should there be an opportunity in the future for that relationship to be reignited, uh, or we all get divorced and have a real thirst for it, or the much planned but never revealed SPM 2.0 uh, takes form, then we will do it, mainly because we will miss you more than you would ever miss us. Uh, you, need I remind you, have the Guardian Football Weekly. And because of all that, you will know us well enough to predict that this was partly a convoluted effort to sell more tickets to the live show. <laughs> You're absolutely right. SPM Live in London, the pod's final show. We can now add that little subtitle is on the 20th of July at 21 Soho. Head to myticket.co.uk with a tear in your eye to join us as we bow out with something that we hope you will think uh, might befit all the nonsense that we've provided you since the end of 2016. So there is the big announcement. It's, it's funny, you know, because, you know, when we launched this podcast, a lot of people told us it was niche. And, and now, um, <laughs> now High Performance with Jake Humphrey has got hundreds of thousands of listeners despite being presented by Jake Humphrey the um no it's, it's just, been a yeah it's 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 obviously main it's happy news that's the most important thing that you you will no longer have to be a kept man um <laughs> and that's 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 really good news and we, we are both very and I'm sure Chinch is as well although we don't really talk anymore um the certainly not we're publicly all, we're all very proud of you and it's it's a it's very sad that SPM will be no more because I think we're all really proud of it and we've all really enjoyed it and it's meant it means and has meant a lot to all of us 
but at least we'd have to go out with A, a live show, and B, knowing that it's for happy reasons rather than because we've had a massive argument and don't want to talk to you again. <laughs> well, yes, we have those massive arguments, but we always manage to come out the other side and still love one another just as much. Hugh, I just wish we could send you off with a live sold-out show at Wembley. <laughs> Instead, it would be really lovely if we could send you off with a sold-out show at 21 Soho. It would be the perfect departure for you and for all of us. And I echo the sentiments that, you know, I will miss it very much. Basically, because the rest of my working life involves me having about a 95% success rate at identifying footballers from a long way away and giving out occasional bits of statistical information that is relevant to them or the game that they are playing in. This has been a wonderful opportunity to think about and talk about football in a more expansive uh, manner. And um, I will... I will certainly miss it having to retreat back to the sanctuary of my uh, my laptop during the week. I'm <laughs> not sure how accurate that uh, 95% is, but yeah. still, if it's a it's statistic that you're using yeah. in your commentary while you're prep, then I'm going to have to trust it. And I think it's, the main thing is that we've done five and a half years, 200 and... This is 271. Two seven, two, 271 episodes. And not once have, has anyone pointed out that you are both <laughs> fans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm editing today. Yes, Stephen will be beeping that out because maybe if you turn up to the live show, you might get that sort of filthy content directly in your ears. Um, well, thank you for those kind comments. It's really not about me, even though... Uh, made it about you. Contractually. It completely about you, yeah. Legally, it's about, about you. It is about me. Uh, we, we hope to reconvene at some point in the future in a way that you are able to hear. But for now, we have a final runway to the 20th of July, uh, one, one that has an incredibly large pothole in it next week when I'm off on holiday. Again, it's about me. Um, and so we'll be taking a break just to let the dust settle, perhaps the news um, to emotionally, mm. you know, mm. settle in. Bed your, in. Yeah. Bed in. Yeah. Um, Let's give people the opportunity to get the, the ergonomics of FIFA, FIFA yeah. you know, underneath their fingers so they can, they can properly review this week's episode. But still, myticket.co.uk, uh, head there and join us on the 20th, 20, 20th of July in London. Meanwhile, keep your correspondence, which may well take a slight turn over the course of the next few days, coming to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. No subject lines, good riddance. Thanks. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule for the time being. Thank you to Rory and to Stephen and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed, but not next week. Rory, we could, you and I could get together on Zoom and like do a watch along whenever Hugh's on the television. That'd be good. Make yeah. it feel like, you know, sort of, as we, as, that... as we ease, wean ourselves off it. I think you... I can guest on a podcast. How about that? You, um, the thing is, Hugh won't, won't say this, but he's now going to be incredibly famous because that's, world, that, no, world service true. presenters are like global superstars. Well, first of, first of all, that's not the job title, but, you know, maybe if I had one. That was that. It might be true. But if if you're on the if you're on the on the world service and you're on the news channel, millions of people will be imbibing your words as 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 facts. You'll you'll basically be the public face of Britain. Martin Tyler said, "Drink it in." Not about Sergio Aguero's goal against QPR in 2012, but about my next few years of doing sports news in different forms on various BBC outlets. Do you know who this is? Good news <laughs> for Rory, the and global let's public. Try and, let's try and find this. Is Hugh's hairdresser? Oh, yeah. Come he's on. going to have to be even more perpetually TV ready than he's yeah. ever been previously. Every day. He'll be doing his hair to every day. 
I've already, due to the teething escapades that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode of Set Piece Menu, I've already had to postpone my uh, my haircut that I was planning for this afternoon until tomorrow. That is a major catastrophic change of plans for somebody who has to not only be television ready, but also holiday ready. You can't go on holiday with long hair. The stuff they don't warn you about during those NCT classes.